0: When you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money, and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to theveterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today I am joined by the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network fellow member, Ashley Foster. How are you, Ashley? Hey, how are you doing, buddy? Good to talk to you as always, buddy. Yep. So we're going to have a conversation around financial planning, other random topics. This is a radio show. We're just going to kind of go through different questions and things that I've received as far as feedback. And that's always fun when people will write in or let me know kind of things that are top of mind. And one of the questions that I got is just like more conversation around financial planning. And I don't know about you, but I do get questions at times like, what does that even look like? And I think I want to start there, maybe go down some different rabbit holes or different areas that we'll chat on. But when you think about financial planning, Ashley, when you have someone that maybe has never worked with an advisor before, how do you explain what financial planning really is? Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Isaiah. And most of the clients that work with me and probably work with you as well have quote unquote, never worked with a financial planner before. So they have no idea what that looks like, what it means. And the term is so ambiguous, right? Are you just helping me create a budget? Are you investing money for me? And things like that. And the way that I typically describe it is financial planning is a process. It's a process to uncover your money values, right? In the way that I view it, your values around money, where you are today and where do you want to go? And then taking all of those different things that are in your head about, should you be saving? Should you be investing? Should you buy a home? Should you not buy a home? All of these different financial questions that you may have and putting them together through one process to move it forward from point A to point B to point C. So that at point C, you feel comfortable and confident in the direction that you're going with, not only with your money, but with your life, using money as a tool to support what it is that you want to do.
0: I love the idea of what you said at the end is like money's a tool. I use that term all the time because it's like, just like anything else out there, you can use this for a lot of different purposes. It can be used for good or bad, like money around the world gets used for good and bad purposes. But yeah, at the end of the day, the idea is as a good planner or anyone that's doing a financial plan, you want to understand what is most valuable to that person and almost put on like the lenses of how they view the world and strip away the biases that maybe Isaiah or Ashley feel that we would think is the right decision. But saying, okay, for this individual, this is what's super important to them. And then what can we then do to make sure that they're utilizing the asset that they have, which I have not met anyone yet, maybe you do, that has unlimited amount of money. Usually it's some sort of a scarce (laughs) thing where you have to figure out what's the best use of it. And yeah, just make sure that it aligns with what is important to you and not trying to impress other people or do something because you're told from either parents or someone else. like you use that for what it is meant to be for your own happiness. And again, the whole idea of, I guess this is a good question. Like when you have conversations with people, a lot of times money conversations are emotional and it's something that's not all like, Hey, this is what the spreadsheet tells me or this financial planning software. But what do you think from the question of like, does money buy happiness? How would you answer that? Have you ever had someone ask you that?
1: I have. Interestingly enough, I have. And I've also thought about that question myself. Does money buy happiness? And so just full disclosure, right? I used to have that magic money tree in the backyard. I chopped it down. So my unlimited source of funds has gone away. So now I have to ask myself, now that the tree has been chopped down, does money buy happiness? It buys comfort. I don't think it buys happiness. Happiness is kind of one of those your perception of what makes you happy, my perception of what makes me happy, my wife's perception of what makes her happy, right? And things like that are two completely different things. So in the general sense, I say I don't think money can buy happiness. What it can buy is a sense of comfort. Somebody that's making $75,000 a year has got a different sense of comfort around them than somebody making $750,000 a year. But that person making $75,000 a year can be extremely happy with where they're at and where they're going. While that person that's $750,000 a year can be the most miserable person on earth. And we've met people, I'm sure you have, on both extremes of that, right? So... Happiness, I think the key is, I'm not going to really like try to Dalai Lama it and say the key to happiness is, right? But like money doesn't necessarily bring happiness, but it allows for more options to achieve what makes you happy. If you love to travel, my wife loves to travel, right? And if we had an unlimited travel budget, she'd be so happy that we could go to all these different places, right? Once COVID's over and it opens up, that would be her ideal thing to travel to different parts of the world stay in some really awesome places, and she'd be happy doing that. The rest of her income be damned, right? If she can just achieve that, that's her level of happiness. Happiness is always subjective, right? It's what you imagine it. Everyone's idea of happiness is different, but money does give you the level of comfort then to go ahead and pursue those things, which make you happy. The key is, and I think going back to the financial planning conversation, Isaiah, is what makes you happy? And financial planners like you or I are not We're not therapists, but we talk about something that's very, a lot of people have different, very heavy emotions around money. And through that financial planning process, right, it's really understanding what their emotions are around money and then helping them understand, okay, yeah, you're a veterinarian. You really hate your job. We know some veterinarians that aren't happy doing what they're doing what brings you happiness? Do you want to be a veterinarian the rest of your life? Or can we find a way to parlay your skills into something that is still involved in vet med, but may make you a lot happier than what it is that you're currently doing? Okay, now we found that route. Now it's a matter of just aligning the money to go ahead and be able to allow you to pursue that particular objective. So what do you think, Isaiah?
0: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. And the first thing I thought of was there's a story of someone I know that works in basically a uh, dental practice sales. So like helping a dentist go from selling their dental practice and kind of walking them through the transition piece and like structuring the deal and doing all that. He is working with someone that has like, I think 20 some locations going to get tons and tons of money for this that someone's going to come out and buy. The guy's been divorced, I think three times, doesn't see his kids, miserable, has had suicidal thoughts attempts, like all these things. Like, this guy's miserable and he's going to have all the money in the world, like more money than he knows what to do with, but he's not happy. So I use examples like that to say like, yeah, you can be making $75,000 and be far happier and more satisfied. And sometimes it is not moving the goalposts as far as like, what is it that you want to accomplish? Because I think it's really easy and I struggle with this and I've talked about it before, I think on the podcast where you get to a certain objective. You're like, yeah, when I get here, then I'll be satisfied. Like when is enough and what is enough? And getting to that point is really hard because we live in a society today that is all about consumption. We have so many things that are all about consuming more and seeing the best 10% of life of people on social media or these other things, and that's challenging. So I think the relationships and having real true relationships, like money can't buy that. To have friends, to have family, to have those things and building on those relationships, that to me, like money does not get those elements for you. You can't buy that. And yes, I agree with you. There's a certain level when you take care of like the kind of like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you need shelter, you need to feel safe. And there are people around the world that don't have those things, right? And money could get them that. So yes, money could buy them happiness. And there's the saying or the joke. It's like, I'd rather be crying in a Porsche than a Kia or whatever, like something like that. Like, yeah, it's always going to be stressful the same way that you're going to have stress at work, whether you are working at Starbucks and someone's chewing you out because you wrote their name down wrong, or you're doing a surgery and something goes bad, right? Like you're going to have stress. And that's just part of life and trying to deal with stress. I think the other thing with money, sometimes it's not about maximizing it, but it's just, again, putting it to good use. And we have a client that he is a practice owner and it'd be great for him trying to find that associate to like ease the burden. It's not always about maximizing, you know, the dollars that are in his pocket, but he's doing some things that he's like, I just, don't have enough time in my day to see everything. And it's just too stressful. And so for him, it's like, if he can find the person to offload some of that, he will be happier. Even if he is paying more and paying a healthy salary or whatever to that associate, at least he gets more time to spend with his family, which was one of the bigger things, right? So it's just trying to understand what does that money do for you? And I think that whole idea comes back to financial plan of like, what is money? So understanding that, I've talked about that a handful of times, and it's really just storing the energy and the output and the time you spend away from your family for later consumption. And so how do you then align that with everything else that you're doing and working towards? And... Yeah. What is it that makes you happy? I enjoy, I feel like I'm a pretty boring person. So I don't have as many like hobbies like other people do. I'm like, man, I'm just a boring guy. I don't know. I guess I just do this podcast. I work. I like sports. I hang out with my wife and son. That's pretty much it. So not a lot. I'm not a, I don't do woodworking. I don't brew my own beer. I don't run triathlons. <laughs> all these people I'm like, man, you guys are so impressive. And you don't have to have all those other things. And I'm sure you've had conversations with people kind of asking them around like what makes them tick and what makes them go. And I always say like, there's no judgment. If you want to just hang out and be able to take trips and camp and be out in nature and not having a bug or bother you, that's great. It doesn't have to be like your checklist is a hundred different things that you want to go do, but it's also fine if that you do have a checklist of hundred things. So yeah, I think it's just trying to distill down, figuring out how do you take the things that you have and then bring them into some sort of semblance of a strategy of, like you said, like going from A to C and how do you do these different things? when you do maybe not have that money tree in the backyard, hopefully you can save some of the seeds from that tree that we can replant somewhere. <laughs> I know you're in the process of moving, so maybe you're gonna take those to New York with you and plant them somewhere.
1: Uh, I hope I've got any space. The space differential in Texas and New York is a little bit different. Along with the cost of living, I wish I could have still got those yeah. seeds. Yeah. My, my Lord, man, it is, it's not cheap up there compared to here. Yeah. But I think you're saying some great things, man. You always hear it, right? Working with younger clients and things like that, you always hear it. Like, I don't feel like I'm oriented in the way that I should. Like, I feel like my calling is something else. And we'll parlay this back into helping veterinarians with their financial planning, right? You always hear those surveys. Would a veterinarian recommend that somebody else get into their business? And we've seen the surveys where most people say no to that. There's a lot of unhappy veterinarians out there. So unhappy, they'll tell other people not to do what they do. And I think that's a travesty. I think that my wife, being a veterinarian, and when she was on the floor, seeing what she could do, and now with her new company, seeing how they help pets that are in need of emergencies and the good work that they do. Yeah, it's an exhaustive job, but man, you're doing something amazing out there. You're helping people's pets. And yeah, the pet owners suck and we can't control that. But you guys are doing some amazing things and helping people and their pets. How cool is that? Yet, a lot of veterinarians are very unhappy with what their business is. And I think there's this big gap between the perception of what being a veterinarian is and what the reality is. But then you go into the fact that, okay, people stay in it because most veterinarians I've met are very compassionate people. And so the idea I think that happens is is that getting into this overall financial planning and happiness conversation as well is that veterinarians get out, they've got this big student loan hanging over their head. That's something that obviously really sucks, right? When you come out and you've got a quarter of a million dollars of student debt. Well, there's programs out there through the federal government, right? That you can go ahead and limit that burden with these. They're complicated, but you can't. And I tell these younger veterinarian clients that I work with, look, the student loan thing, yeah, it sucks, but let's put that in a box. Like, you can pay that off. There's programs available to you to where your student loan payment is not like, it's not going to suck as bad or be really, really bad, right? So we can put that in a box. What do you want to do? Don't worry about student loans, what have you. Let's put that in a box. What do you want out of a career in vet med and what do you want out of your life per se? And I think a lot of veterinarians get caught up in the fact that They come out and they feel that they're already behind the eight ball with the student loan challenge that they have. They're behind the eight ball and uh, you know, we don't make human physician salaries and stuff like that, right? So there's this kind of negativity when people come out a little bit about the industry in general. And where I'm going with this is is that then veterinarians then feel that they have to catch up. They've been in school for a long time. Hey, I gotta go out and get a nice car or hey, I gotta go out and buy a home. And all of a sudden these financial things that they've been putting on hold for so long start really kind of adding up. And then all of a sudden, your happiness level really starts to go down because now you're dependent on the work that you do for that paycheck to meet student loan obligation, your mortgage, and things like that. And I've been on some vet Facebook groups and things like that where people are just so unhappy. But then they talk about, oh, I just bought a $750,000 home. And I'm going, what? You just said that you're so unhappy that money's tight and all these other things. And now you've moved up that level to compete with the Joneses. Well, what really makes you happy? Does that big old palatial kind of $750,000 home? I know in some in Houston, it's palatial. and some other markets, maybe like New York, it's not quite so much, right? But is that going to make you happy? Kind of keeping up with the Joneses in that respect? Is there something else? And I think through the financial planning process, bringing it back to that, planners like yourself, like myself, like Dan, right, who's also a Fan member, Fellow, I like that word, a fellow. And I think through the financial planning process, discovering what makes somebody really happy and aligning their money with that value set can help avoid the misery that happens later on when you're just out there working for a paycheck or you're managing your practice and you don't get to experience all the wonderful things that being a practice owner or being an associate vet with good salary, you know, allows you to go ahead and do
0: And I'll use an example of a newer client that we started working with. She moved from a clinic that she thought she wanted to be an owner. And everyone knows that listens to the show very regularly that I talk about practice ownership. She thought that she wanted to be a practice owner for a long time. And then that kind of didn't happen in the way that she thought. And she went and worked for a husband and wife team. And it just, it wasn't, again, management and leadership in veterinary medicine is really poor. I hear that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so I think there's an interesting thread to pull there around how do you get better at leadership? And so if you're thinking about going and being an owner, really spending some time and understanding how to be a leader, the clinical skills everyone has, like you've learned that in school, but interpersonal relationships, communication, and how to manage people and understand the different types of people, like what's going to motivate one versus the other is going to be very different. Anyways, she was really thinking about just getting out of medicine. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. She made good money, but she found another hospital. She's working less time. She's going to make less money she's so excited. She's like, I can work another 20 years. I love where I'm at now. And she was able to take a step back knowing that, Hey, she had a financial plan that said, this is how much you need to make. And going back to that thing that you can control, which is what's your expenses, what's your lifestyle look like? What made her happy was very different. And it was, some may call it simple. I just say, this is what makes me happy. And I think for some people, it's easier to understand that and be self-aware that, hey, it's not taking all these extra things that we need, the new vehicles, the bigger house, the trips that are wild and crazy. Now, family vacation for her was super important. Hey, we are going to make sure every year we take our kids and we take a trip. We're doing something. It's great. And they can still accomplish all that and she can work less. So she has more time off just to enjoy life. And so I think if someone's like, what is financial planning? It's that, it's having the optionality to figure out what you wanna do. And so you're not locked in, like you said, where, hey, I have this chain around my ankle that I have to carry around because I have all this debt to where I can't make the adjustment and work. I can't go take an option to maybe make less for a little while to see if I like it better. And the other thing that I encourage veterinarians right now is I know so many clinics that are looking for associates that are willing to pay a good amount. And that's just even in the Indianapolis area. And I know it's all over the place. And I had someone in the Facebook group And I'm going to bring some people on to talk about how do I, as a private practice owner, recruit people. But there are so many people looking for good quality help that if you're not getting treated well, or you don't feel like you're getting paid adequately, go look and explore what your value is out on the open market and don't stay somewhere that you don't feel like you're happy and you can't see yourself there long-term because that is going to, A, it's going to age you. Like, so if you're feeling like, Hey, I'm still young and I feel like I'm an old soul already where I'm just beaten up and I can't keep doing this that's going to be a problem. And so I think the whole idea of financial planning, again, trying to tie back this theme, because it feels very, it's intangible. You can't touch, you can't see it and say, oh, that's really good financial planning. But it's just trying to have a good strategy for how you're going to make decisions around money and then lifestyle decisions, and then making sure that you have the flexibility to say, oh, can I do that? And I think that's the big thing. Getting a big financial plan and this big leather bound book or whatever, I'm like, I don't do that. And I doubt you do either. like That's not there. It used to be a thing where they'd put out these huge, big reports and here you go and that's what you paid for. But that's really not it. It's what are the action items I'm going to take away? And what tweaks and what adjustments am I going to make? And how can I implement some of these things that we talked about to get better? Just improve around the edges.
1: I think what you just said is spot on, man. And you may know this. You came from a career, and I did as well, right? I came from a career where it was the financial, quote unquote, advisor, right? It was a sales-based type thing. And this goes back to clients not knowing what a financial planning relationship really looks like, right? So it was a sales based thing, right? We're selling products and the financial plan is this 50 page document printed out, would kill a lot of trees in that industry, <laughs> you know, printed out with a bunch of color graphs. And oh, you do this, you do this, you do this, you save your money. Dah, dah, dah. Okay, cool. Here, buy this product and what have you. They'll get there, right? And that's not really financial planning the way that I know you define it and the way that I define it, right? And I think that a lot of people, that I worked with that have had previous relations with a financial planner, right? Have had a previous relationship with a financial "quote unquote" advisor. Go through my process, probably go through your process as well, Zaya, and think the same thing. Like, man, this is not what I thought this was, right? The the guy or gal that I sat down with just told me that I need to save this and buy some life insurance, and da 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 da, right? And and everything would be golden, and all we did was just talk about my investments. And this advisor knew absolutely nothing about. Just my tangible dreams and goals, and knew nothing about who I am and what I wanted to really accomplish. And you're right, right? The 50 page leather bound reports. I think that's for compliance departments have to show that people are doing some sort of work. You know, at the end of the day, and that's why they do that. But yeah, that doesn't add value to clients for the most part. Why? Because no one looks at that thing. Number one. Number two, it then sits in a drawer and collects dust. And all you're doing then is speaking with an advisor about, oh, this is what my quarterly investment performance has been. Let me show you what this is all, right? Well, who wants to do that? That doesn't tell you anything about, okay, well, great. My money's okay. But what about me? Am I okay? Am I going to get to where I want to go, right? And so having these higher level conversations about why you're doing this, why do you want to do this? What does it look like? What have you? That's the thing, right? It's those are the conversations that financial planners should be having with their clients to get them from point A to point B and understanding we have one life to live, right? Like that, I think it's a soap opera, right? One life to live. Might as well doing the things that we really love and enjoy, right? At the end of the day. And money is just that tool that allows us the freedom and flexibility to do the things that we really like. And my last comment on this. Previously, I was working with the retirement subset, the 55, the 60, 65s, right? The pre-retirees. And I kid you not, this always came up because at that time, I'm 37, full disclosure, I'm 37 years old. So this must've been like when I was 31, 32, 33, they'd all sit down with me and goes, man, if I was just your age, I would have done a lot more of this. So I'd have this more money to do the things that I want. Not always like that, but it was basically hinting towards, I'd do it so much differently if I was your age. Almost every single one of them told me that. And I said, that's depressing. How depressing is that? You're 65 years old, you're about to retire, and you're telling somebody that's probably like your kid's age, like, hey, if I were you, I would have done it a lot different. That sucks. And I sit here and I go, well, when's the first... I I asked a couple of these people, when's the first time you sat down with a financial quote unquote advisor or planner or anything like that? Oh, I'd never done that. I just set money in my 401k and kind of just lived my life. And okay, cool. But nobody gave you direction on how to do these things and how to have bigger, substantial conversations about what you guys really want. And sometimes even the spouses never even talked about that.
0: That's huge. That piece right there is massive. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with spouses. It's like, they've never had this conversation. I'm like, I'm not a therapist. Again, going back to what you talked about, but this conversation has obviously never happened. And I'm like, Ooh, just sit here and watch. But also like my goal is not to get them into a fight on the way home. So it's like, okay, they're doing the best they can. And No, that's a great point. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that I am seeing a couple conversations in my mind flash by when you did say that.
1: Totally, man. And like I said, like spouses have never even talked about these things. All of a sudden, one spouse wants to go volunteer more with a church group and retire and not earn any money. And the other one wants to continue being a big breadwinner and buying all the flashy things. And all of a sudden, you're retired, and these two ideas of what one spouse once and the other one once are so divergent, and all of a sudden that leads to a lot of challenges and issues, like you just said, right like look, we're not your marriage counselor, but a real financial planner, I think, understands their clients so much that they have to get into these issues because conversations about money leads to conversations about life, you know in general, and that's why I love what I do, right? I love talking to people about their lives, and I love people in general, and so Yeah. They're 65 years old and one spouse doesn't even know what the other spouse wants to do. What goes back? What makes them happy? And then all of a sudden there's two of these divergent things. They've spent so much time squirreling away money and now they've got all this money and and now they're looking at each other. like, I'll give you an example of that. God bless them. My parents, right? My mom just recently retired and I work with my parents and they're my oldest clients and they bring the average age of my book of business up by a lot, (laughs) right? So, But they're great people, right? And they've been great parents married 43 something years or what have you. And they've got a lot of money that they've squirreled away because they lived very frugally. I always thought we were poor. And then I'm now I'm helping them out. I'm like, Jesus, guys, really? You know, <laughs> <laughs> We had to shop here when we could have shopped there. That would have avoided a lot of teasing in middle school, right? But regardless. So looking at it, my mom just retired here recently from 30 something years in the Medicare insurance sales and her first six weeks of retirement were really rough. And working with her, they had left when a previous advisor only two, three years ago, to come work with me when I started NextGen Financial Planning. And working with them was just, hey, what do you guys want to do? Did your advisor ever talk to you about like anything outside of just like your portfolio and stuff like that? Did he ever ask you about what you wanted out of your life? Now you're retired. What do you want to do? And it's been a real big challenge. I think my dad, different story. My dad retired at 66 years old, got his first social security check. Boom. What do you do? Went out and bought a new set of golf clubs and he loves the golf. He golfs every single day. My mother's a little bit different. And so it's been a challenge trying to get her to envision what life without work is and getting her on board with what it is that really she's very passionate about. And luckily, we've been able to kind of find a passion for her that she and my dad can enjoy, which has brought my dad a level of sanity, which is going out and golfing together. And my mom now is like super duper into golf and things like that. And her attitude has completely changed versus when she had just previously retired. But had that earlier advisor focused less on just money conversations and more on conversations about life, I truly feel that. This transition into retirement for my mother, not so much my dad, but my mother would have been a lot, a lot smoother and easier, and they wouldn't have had to have their kid having big conversations about their life. Literally, I played like the role of the parent to my mom, right? (laughs) Versus the other way around. I think that's an example right there of how these real financial planning conversations early on can really mitigate some of the crazy challenges that somebody has when they decide that their life plan is not on track and they need to get on track with a life plan.
0: Absolutely. Do you have a favorite question that you like to ask in kind of this, maybe like discovery or trying to understand like how someone really thinks about money or what they want to do that helps really open that thought process to share? Is there any favorite thing just for someone to think about this listening?
1: Yeah. And I've seen some of these fancy questions like, If you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And da 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 da, da, right? And those types of questions, they're all great questions. I think through my process, Isaiah, I think when I initially meet with a client, our very first meeting, they don't know me from Adam, right? They know nothing about me other than some of the pretty pictures on my website. And we sit down, I say, okay, what brings you here today? Right? Why are you here? And it's a very simple question. But it elicits a lot. And I think the key, Isaiah, and I know you're very good at this. I know Dan is great at this, right, is your advisor should just sit back and shut up and not say anything and just let you talk. And when people come to me first, it's always about money. There's always something about, oh, my student loans are this. This is this, right? This is this. Okay, cool. We have conversations about money. I ask them about some of these things just to get a sense of their financials. And then I ask them the follow-up question. Okay, but what really brings you here today? And I think that throws a lot of people off because they'll kind of look at me through the Zoom meeting and say, my student loans and what have you. I said, oh, no, we just talked about that, right? Tell me what brings you here today. Why do you want to pay somebody to help you out with all of this stuff? And you get a lot of interesting answers from that. Well, I want to pay off my student loans. I feel like I need to pay off my student loans early because I want to have as much money as possible for a practice when I buy into a practice. Okay. Why would you like to own a practice? Is there anything else about that? It's not really one key question, I think. It's just allowing the client space to just communicate what's on their mind and then going deeper with levels about, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And yeah, you get into being like almost like a therapist. I just had a prospective client yesterday tell me, man, I just felt like I just went through a therapy session. But that's the thing. A great therapist is trained to listen to you. And if the other person on the other side of the table is not listening to you or you don't feel like you're being listened to, then you're starting off the relationship in a wrong way. Then it's all just about the money. And money, again, it's a piece of paper with a dead present on it that everyone sees differently, right? elicits different emotions. You never got to really tell that person about that time when you're in fifth grade and your cat was in pain or what have you, and you went to the vet and they cured your cat and you were just so enamored. And that brings so many feelings. That's the reason why you got into vet medicine and da da da. And then all of a sudden you get into the minutiae of vet medicine and you lose that, right? And I think by asking people just a question about what brings you here today, and then tell me a little bit more about why that is, you start to get down deeper and deeper into these levels with a client that they tell you about those stories. Like one of my clients who's a large animal vet, and you don't meet a lot of large animal vets, right? Well, why did you get into large animal medicine? Because when I was in seventh grade, my parents who are farmers had a sick cow, and they took to the, somebody my favorite cow that I helped raise, da 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 and you get into these wonderful stories about they took care of the cow, and I just always had this passion, and now I want to start a mobile vet practice with large animals and be able to do that for other farmers, because I really love farmers, and then you get into this conversation, this is a real client of mine. And then she gets into this wonderful conversation about how farming is a lifeblood of America. And she really loves this country. And she wants to be able to go ahead and help the farmers out because she wants to be able to provide for people. And you get into these amazing conversations about why you're doing this in the first place and what do you really want to do? And that's why she wants to be a mobile vet and making a lot less money than she currently is right now working for USDA. But now she wants to become a mobile vet for large animals. And well, how can I get her to that passion? And those are stories I think, to get off my tangent here, but but those are stories that I think that a lot of financial advisors don't ask about and don't find out about. And I think if you're a veterinarian out there and you're asking, going back to your initial question, like, what should people be asking them about why they're, you know, great questions and things like that. Well just ask yourself, why am I here and where do I want to go? And yeah, they're existential questions. They're not money focused or anything like that. What got me into being a veterinarian? And what did I want to do with it? What was my childhood dream with that, right? My wife's childhood veterinary dream was to work with dolphins. I mean, she loves dolphins so much. She's not doing that right now. But maybe at some point in the future, we orient our plan to where we can find a way to move to Hawaii, where the dolphins are, and try to live out a life of meaning for her and I. We're in Hawaii, and she gets her passion of working with dolphins. And My business is remote, just a five-hour time difference, central time, but my business is remote, and I can still conduct my business, and she can live her passion of working with dolphins, right? But you have to understand what makes you, I think, tick. and the biggest question you can ask yourself is, why did I become a veterinarian? If we're focusing on just veterinarians, why did I become a veterinarian? What do I want to do in vet med? And then how can I get to that area of passion where I can take a pay cut and pursue something passionate? And I think in that larger context, to put a bow on it then Isaiah, is if you are having trouble answering those questions, or if you have the answer to that question, but you don't know how to make it work with the money, then that's when you engage a quote unquote real financial planner like ourselves, like Dan, like some of the other planners that are out there that are working with veterinarians that are truly doing financial planning, not the ones that are trying to lead you to buy a product of some sort, but ones that actually do real financial planning to guide you in creating that vision. And now I'm off my soapbox.
0: That's beautiful. No, I love that. Again, going back to what you just talked about with an advisor, like you need to shut up and let people talk. And it was the same thing there. Like it was beautiful. Like there's no need to interrupt that. And I think if you go and meet with an advisor and they tell you about all the years of experience and how great they are and what they're going to be able to do for you, it's like, to me, that's really off-putting. You're paying someone else so they can help you. They need to know you before you They don't need to sell you on all the accolades or things that they do or... Two hundred combined years of experience. Like I'm like, okay, come on, no one, no one cares, right? Like that is that is the dumbest thing uh, that I see in our industry when they have like older people that are all like, oh, I've done this for thirty years, and this is twenty. They combine them all together. And it's like so you have two hundred years of experience to tell me that what? Okay, whatever. It's loony. Everything that you talked about is wonderful, and I think to kind of give people some context and like wrap up the discussion, like financial planning can be something that you can see like, Hey, these are the steps. These are the actions we're going to take to move forward, to get to where we want to go. But before all of that, exactly what you said, like, why are you here? What is the thing that you're working towards? It's like, if you don't have that, none of the rest of it matters. Like, yeah, sure. You can invest and you can put money away. And a lot of times that's the easier conversations for us. Like, Hey, we know how we want to do some of those things and we'll get to know that. And we can have other conversations like that's easier understanding like who you are and what are the key things you want to accomplish. That's the skill. Like that's the part that has the ability of like trying to dig a little deeper. And I love the idea of like, almost like the onion. It's like, you give me the original answer. Okay, take that layer off. Let's go to the next one. Take that layer off and go to the next one. And that's the key thing. But it's discovery, it's understanding and assessing, it's evaluating, it's implementing, it's monitoring. It's like all those key things that an advisor does. And it's accountability. There's certain people that are like, hey, they just need accountability. They can come in and tell you, and then they're gonna go on their lives and get super busy. And they need someone to help shoulder that burden to say, Hey, give me a kick in the pants to get this stuff done. And so, yeah, you just have to kind of see where you're at and what's going on and what your time's worth. I always use that example too. Like, what is your time worth? And if you got time back, is that valuable? And if that's helpful, then great. And if not, then you probably shouldn't work with someone. And if you have the passion and skill set to do it and you want to spend time, yeah, that's great. Like go for it. You can do that. So hopefully that helps understand, I think a little bit more around what financial planning is, but it's conversations that are not how much are you contributing to your 401k? Oh, you should just increase that by 2%. Yes, sure. That can be helpful, but that's not the real reason that you pay someone. It's going to be the relationship and it's someone that really understands you and can challenge you, but also encourage and implement and kind of go to battle for you to make sure you get to where you want to go. And yeah, I love the rant, the soapbox, whatever that you just went through. So I appreciate that. And the stories are, I think are super helpful.
1: And I mean, just to maybe close it out. I think one thing that you just said here Is key. And that's an accountability partner, right? And so I've told clients that I'm kind of like, quote unquote, their financial Sherpa. You can climb Mount Everest on your own. And there's people that want to climb Mount Everest on their own. And God bless them. And they've got years of experience. But if you're kind of that neophyte, you're going to want to hire a Sherpa to get you up that mountain safely and to get you down that mountain safely. And the key is, and I think you said the part that I think is also very important in this is accountability. To give you a story, I have a client, he's a human physician, and both spouses are physicians. Great people. Life is just so busy for them, though, being a dual income physician household. They're young, they're in their mid 30s, student loans paid off, everything, and they have very low spending levels, which is like the ideal financial planning client. Like, that's right. Like, cool. You're not like cash flow negative every single month and buying crazy things, especially as a physician who are known to spend money on crazy things. They don't, they just tuck money away. And when you look at how much money they have tucked away just sitting in cash over the years, I mean, it's seven figures almost. It's this ridiculous amount of money that they've just set aside that they haven't touched. And through the financial planning process, we discovered what is important to them, what they want to do and what have you. The key then above that is, is being the accountability partner, right? If they weren't going to save money effectively before, well, what was just this plan that has action items and then I just give it to them and let them go off? What is that going to do for them? It's going to do nothing. They needed someone to give them a kick in the ass, right? And so now it's a matter of through the work that we do with clients, this is kind of an extreme example, but one I think is important, right? They've probably missed out over these last five or six years, if they hadn't invested that money, which they weren't doing a lot of, so much gains in the stock market, right? It could have put them in a completely different kind of league financially. And they're going to get there, right? Because they've got great savings habits and what have you, but they needed a accountability partner to say, okay, Go open a joint brokerage account. Okay, this is how you're going to invest it. Okay, set up the automatic right? Then you get into the financial planning stuff and what have you, right? The nuts and bolts of financial planning that an advisor should be helping you out with. But really, it was before then understanding what it is that they wanted to go ahead and accomplish, what they wanted out of their lives, what was important to them. And then that led into the conversation about, hey, we got to get some stuff done. So I think extreme example, but real life example, Isaiah, of the importance of somebody being an accountability partner for you.
0: Absolutely. We're going to leave it there. I would love feedback both to us. Let us know right into the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network. You can contact us right in there. You can reach out into the Facebook group. Join that for the podcast. Write in questions if you want to go deeper into these topics. But I heard a handful of people really want to understand like what is financial planning. So hopefully that gives you an idea of what it should look like and how to think about things and maybe have some of that self-reflection before going and talking to someone That way it's easier to articulate what you want because yeah, sometimes it's hard to think about that when you're just busy, go, go, go between work and family and friends and kids and spouses. It's just like you're pulled and stretched in a lot of different areas. And it's hard to sometimes take a step back and think like, what do I individually want when you give, give, give all the time to all these other people and your profession? So, Yeah. Thank you for listening. We will be back and uh, talk soon. Ashley, thank you so much. That was awesome.
1: Awesome, Isaiah. Thank you so much. And everybody out there, y'all take care. And thank you for what y'all do as veterinarians, really. Thank you guys for what y'all do.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice.